You've heard of Grammarly, and you might think it's a fancy spell check, but people on your team have been using it and loving it for years because it does way more than you realize. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that works seamlessly across apps and websites and can write an instant first draft in a few clicks, not a few hours. When every word your team writes is clear, concise and on brand, companies can save 19 days per employee per year. Learn what better writing can do for your company at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said, done. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do, that's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. I'm Caroline Hyde at Bloomberg's World Quarters in New York. And I'm Ed Ludlow in San Francisco. This is Bloomberg Technology in Carolina. A great month for the Nasdaq 100, best since July, ahead of a key Fed meeting. But right now, all about earnings. And it's all about the share reaction after earnings. And first and foremost, we therefore got to dive into Snap, falling hard after it forecasts its first ever quarterly revenue decline. Then my conversation with the Nikola CEO, Michael Loschella, as the company reboots its electric truck offering for 2023. And the unicorn trying to bring back the dodo bird? We talk to colossal biosciences. But first, we want to get into the devil of the detail. Insider intelligence principal analyst Jasmine Enberg is with us for more on Snap's earnings. And look, you lead the coverage of influencer marketing, of social commerce. You focus on TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, Snapchat, Twitter, Facebook. I need not go on. You know where the eyeballs are. What notices for me every time, Snapchat does really well in terms of the amount of users it has, the control it has of the 13-year-olds to the 30-year-olds, the amount of impressions they get. Why can't they convert it into money? Well, you're absolutely right. I mean, Snapchat's audience and its user growth is absolutely not its problem. It has a strong hold over Gen Z, over teens who really love the platform. It's very different from any other social platform. It's more focused on private sharing. It has also, you know, invested heavily into augmented reality, which its users love. But the reality is, at this point, most of its user growth is actually coming from the rest of the world. And the rest of the world monetizes at a much lower rate than the U.S., and that has hampered its uh, revenue growth as well. Jasmine, the range of 2% to 10% drop in top line for the current period, does that tell you Snap has no visibility on the ad market or Snap has no visibility on how their tweaks around direct response is going? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, you know, a pretty... A difficult sign for how the ad market is doing right now. But I think the reality is, is we have to be ready for a period of much more modest growth for social media in general. There are a lot of challenges right now to social ad businesses, whether that is the privacy policy changes that have really impacted particularly performance advertisers, as well as the volatile economic conditions. And, you know, these challenges clearly continue to persist throughout 2022. And I'm expecting there to be more challenges and much more competition ahead as well. 
One headline on the terminal is about the forecast for the drop in revenue. The other headline is Snapchat Plus subscription draws more than 2 million users. The stock down 13.5% in after hours. Does anyone care about Snapchat Plus? Well, you know, Snapchat users care about Snapchat Plus. I think it's, you know, a uh, feature that has really been able to draw in more engagement for Snapchat. Whether it's going to be a revenue boon is still an open question. I think, you know, more it will be a way for them to keep their users engaged and keep them happy uh, on Snapchat and, and really just using the app more. So users like it. Let's talk about how they can convert the advertisers to liking. Is it, as you say, that they need to just drive more conversion, more money from their international growth? Or how can they start proving that the direct response is really where the American purchaser needs to be? Yeah, I think one thing for Snapchat, of course, it's a much smaller platform, so it has been more impacted by a lot of these challenges. Uh, one interesting thing to note with Snapchat is that it is incredibly um, highly associated with augmented reality, mm. but it actually only makes a fraction of its ad revenues. So there's a lot of challenges that it has to you know, rise to this year, and one of them is really helping advertisers to understand the platform and how to use the platform and its features to um, be able to reach those consumers. And let's do the read across, the ripple effect, the fact that Meta's trading lower, Pinterest and sympathy. Is that the right view to take, that this is something industry-wide? Or is this idiosyncratic? Because I can think of another key name that's also bet an awful lot on not just AR, but VR. Yeah, I mean, I think this, these challenges really are affecting all of these social platforms. And, you know, I don't think it's wrong to be worried about the state of social media advertising right now. I mean, at Insider Intelligence, we're actually forecasting Meta's first ever ad revenue decline for 2022. So I think that tells you kind of the, the state of uh, social advertising right now. Jasmine, we've been covering a lot recently Twitter, right, and its aspirations to go from around 250 million installed user base to about, well, a billion, maybe. My question is, when you look at Twitter, you look at Snap, is there growth there? How do they grow to be more meaningfully global, to have much bigger factors of audience that use their platforms? Well, Twitter, of course, is unique in that a lot of its issues right now are, are self-inflicted. And at Insider Intelligence, we're actually expecting uh, Twitter's user base to decline, both in the U.S. and worldwide. By 2024, we're expecting a decline of about 32 million monthly users worldwide. So it's going to be an uphill battle, really, for Twitter to be able to grow its user base. I do think that there is an opportunity to be able to increase engagement among users as long as Twitter's able to um, hit on features that really appeal to its audience. And that is something that they haven't been able to do as of yet. All right. We'll continue to track Snap share reaction in after hours throughout the show. Insider Intelligence Principal Analyst Jasmine Emberg, thank you very much. The DOJ is looking into Tesla's autopilot and self-driving claims. The EV maker confirmed in a regulatory filing it's received requests for documents from the U.S. Justice Department. It's looking at claims the company has made about features that it markets as autopilot and for self-driving, or FSD. And it's all part of growing scrutiny around Tesla's technology. Now, Elon Musk's company said, quote, we have experienced and we expect to continue to face claims and regulatory scrutiny around what the company 
company characterizes as claimed failures or alleged misrepresentations. Tesla said it's unaware of any government agency with an ongoing investigation that's reached the conclusion any wrongdoing has occurred. Now, on the company's most recent earnings call, where it had beat expectations, Musk said that every time Tesla sells a car, it, quote, has the ability to have full self-driving enabled, which he sees as, quote, a tremendous upside potential. Now, Caroline, that's the DOJ. It was just Friday where Bloomberg reported the SEC is also looking specifically at comments Musk has made around this area of of self-driving as part of its broader investigation. This regulatory overhang, though, seems to not be as important to shareholders as ultimately the fundamentals of the business, the the prices of the cars, because today we actually saw the shares rise, yes, amid risk appetite, but also despite this DOJ headline. And since its earnings, real momentum for Tesla. So I want to move on, actually, Caroline, to another EV maker. Because earlier today here in San Francisco, I caught up with Michael Loescheller, who is the latest CEO of Nikola, who was here in town for the Bloomberg NEF conference. And after what was, frankly, a tough year last year for Nikola, I asked, is 2023 going to be a chance to reset? Here's what he told me. So key message from our side will be we have the trucks on the one side, zero emission trucks. We started last year with a launch of the battery electric truck. Right. Launched this year the fuel cell truck and we want to make sure that also the energy infrastructure is there. So in a way we want to make sure we have an integrated solution. You can call it we want to put the chicken and the egg together. A big focus of Bloomberg New Energy Finance is research around batteries. And Nikola's interesting, multiple sources of cell supply, but an acquisition of Romeo. How, how has that gone? You know, how do you feel about your supply going into 2023? Very important decision for us to acquire Romeo Power because obviously the battery is a very important element component right. of the truck. And I think the vertical integration is so important. Now we can control the battery, optimize it, improve it. We also will move uh, from Cyprus to Coolidge so that everything is together at our state-of-the-art facility. So I think it's a big benefit. And of course, there's a lot to do we can on the battery and improve it further. I want to get to the kind of hydrogen infrastructure, but battery electrics where you started, um, you know, the, the guidance was just short of 300 deliveries on uh, the, the battery electric truck in 2022. Romeo was an interesting situation because before you bought them, they were offering these kind of supply of sales packs at a discount. Then you acquired them and brought them in. How have the economics of that transaction worked out? Is it, is it the sort of most prudent financial decision to just go out and buy your own cell supply rather than do deals with third parties? First of all, it was important for us to do the vertical integration. It's much better that we have it in our hands and obviously will improve the cost position going forward, right? Instead of having negotiations with suppliers and have lots of things. So to own the battery is really important for us and makes a lot of sense. I feel very good about that. I've been covering Nikola since... Uh, early 2020, mid 2020, and a part of the story that gets discussed less is you're not just planning to make a hydrogen fuel cell semi-truck. You're planning to build out the infrastructure to fuel the trucks, literally hydrogen supply. What is the plan presently for that? And that's a very important point. So last week we actually announced all our hydrogen energy related things and we umbrella everything
something under the name of Hyla. So I think that's very important to have a brand for our hydrogen energy activities. And what we want to do at Nikola is to offer the truck, so the fuel cell truck, but every fuel cell truck, of course, needs hydrogen, and the customers are expecting that we offer both. And I think bringing these things together is really important, and at the end of the day, I'm sure the customer will value that a lot. Great interview there, Ed, with the CEO of Nikola. Now, let's turn to some earnings that we've just been getting. Again, thick and fast in Electronic Arts, one of them, the video game publisher behind the franchises like FIFA, just gave a forecast for next bookings in the fourth quarter that fell short of analyst estimates. This is the company's holiday releases. They failed to offset a broader decline in gaming revenue. We're down by 7% after hours as COVID-related game delays pushed several anticipated titles into 2023, including EA's remake of the 2000. 2008 survival horror game, Dead Space. Coming up, Sony facing some challenges with its VR headset. One of them, of course, being, well, what games are you going to be playing on it? What it all means for the virtual reality sector's fate. Next. Plus, teachers rejoice. OpenAI's got a tool to help classify content that's AI written, but passed off as human. We're on that next. This is Bloomberg. What if everyone at work were an expert communicator? What if every doc, message and email they wrote was perfectly clear and concise? Inbox numbers would drop, customer satisfaction scores would rise and everyone would be more productive. That's where Grammarly comes in. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that understands your business and can transform it through better communication. Companies that use Grammarly save an average of 19 days per employee per year. That's because with Grammarly's AI, what used to take a few hours only takes a few clicks like generating an instant first draft in your company voice or tailoring a message to your specific audience and goals. And Grammarly's personalized on-brand writing help is built in everywhere your team works, across 500,000 apps and websites. Plus, it's safe, secure, and already IT-approved. Join 70,000 teams who trust Grammarly with their words and their data. Learn more at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said. Done. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. be a relief to some teaching staff out there because OpenAI is coming out with a new tool to tell when text is written in AI. The company behind ChatGPT, of course, is going to flag content written by its products as well as other AI tools. But OpenAI does say that the tool, quote, still has a number of limitations and should be used as a complement to other methods of determining the source of text. It will be available as a web app and available to integrally teachers. Let's bring in Bloomberg's Dina Bass for more. I mean, a lot of the hand-wringing around ChatGPT was around teaching staff and the fact that students were going to busy basically getting ChatGPT to write their studies. 
Absolutely. I, I don't know if we should be excited about the uh, extent to which our students embrace innovation, but yes, uh, some of the earliest users of ChatGPT were uh, students who figured out that they could use it to do their homework and do their essays. Also, uh, employees, uh, people at work using it, and, and people pretending to be humans. There's real worry about using it for misinformation, for astroturfing campaigns. So uh, OpenAI, as well as other people, have been working on ways to flag when content is AI-generated as opposed to human authored, but not so fast. As you mentioned, OpenAI uh, flagged that it's a bit limited. Right now, they're only getting about a 20% success rate in identifying AI-generated content. And on some level, perhaps even more worrying, they're getting a nearly 10% false positive rate. So something is human authored and it will be flagged as generated by the AI. Now imagine you're a high school student whose uh, teacher is using this, accuses you of cheating when you've actually written uh, the essay yourself. Also not great. Dina, I appreciate that the underlying technology that powers uh, chat GPT is complicated, but as best you can, how does this work? How is it supposed to work? So all of the, the things that underlie ChatGPT are large language models that have been trained on a vast array of data from the internet. So what OpenAI did here was also attempt to train a model. They took samples that they believed to be human authored, they labeled them as human authored, and they matched you know, a prompt to the output. And they did the same thing with things that were AI authored and tried to use that to teach an artificial intelligence model to guess for itself, predict for itself which ones are human, which ones are not. Now, you know, some of the limitations here, it is not reliable on very short uh, amounts of text. So OpenAI said below a thousand characters, it really can't do much. Um, if it's looking at a text where there's automatically a right answer, like they gave the example of the first thousand prime numbers, you can't tell the, the correct answer will be the same regardless of who is who's writing it. There's also, you know, people have been very smart about these things. There's ways to edit the AI generated content in order to evade this classification tool. And so you end up in a bit of a game of whack-a-mole where people figure out how to change the AI content to, to make it uh, harder for the classifier to determine that it's written by a, a bot. Bloomberg's Dina Bass, you have been across every single step of this story since the start. Unbelievable, great reporting. Thanks for joining. Now, let's pivot a little bit. Sony reduced projections for the initial launch of its PlayStation VR 2 headset drastically. That's according to sources. That's also as a result of weak early pre-orders. I want to bring in Bloomberg's Mark Gurman all across the consumer electronics beat. Mark, what have we learned about this kind of reset from Sony? Yeah, so Bloomberg News reported uh, this week that um, orders have been reduced for their new VR, PSVR 2 headset. Now, this is a big deal, slashing orders. It's Right now, the VR market does not have a lot of momentum. Apple's announcing its headset in just a few months, uh, but at the same time, you have this report. You have Meta actually reducing the price, at least on a limited basis, of its Quest Pro headset by a few hundred dollars from $1,500. So I think overall, this is not so much a story about Sony, but the virtual reality market uh, in general. And this is why you see some of the other tech giants, including Apple, Samsung, and Amazon, really looking long-term more at AR rather than 
VR. That's fascinating, Mark, because, of course, you bring us scoop after scoop on what Apple is thinking about at the moment. The question with Sony is whether it's the price point, whether the fact that it's basically only servicing its own PS5, so it's a bit too much of a niche market. I'm interested as to what the read across for an Apple is, for example. I mean, have they got enough content, enough content creation to make you want to splurge on these sorts of devices? Yeah, so the, 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 the Sony device, right, it's not too expensive if you compare the price point to Apple's $3,000 uh, versus, you know, sub $500 for the VR headset. The problem is, is that it requires, like you said, a PlayStation, right? There are still some people who want PlayStations who can't get their hands on PlayStation. <laughs> so this is a device for a device that you can't even get your hands on in some cases, and it only works with that product. The difference being that the Meta headset, the Apple headset, some of the headsets from other providers, those are all completely standalone devices, right? So Sony is limiting uh, use cases, usability, and the addressable market right from the get-go just by including that, uh, you know, required compatibility and required use uh, with the PlayStation, right? Apple's fully standalone prior iPhone. Uh, Mark, we've covered Apple better. We've covered Sony. Let's do Samsung as well. Why not? Big week for them. Are you excited about what's to come? No, I'm not, actually. Uh, I think Samsung's new devices this week are actually going to be pretty marginal. Uh, We're talking minor camera improvements on the two base models. We're talking about a jump from 108 megapixels to 200 megapixels on the back camera of their highest-end phone. Uh, So you're not seeing major improvements, major design changes, major processor upgrades here. Uh, These are going to be very small year-over-year upgrades. Uh, For the Apple Watchers out there, there's this term where you call it an S year, right? Sometimes you get the iPhone 5S or 6S, mm. right? The 10S. Right. This is like that for Samsung this year. Small improvements. Mark German, fascinating. Thank you so much across the hardware conversation. Meanwhile, let's get you to the music conversation because Spotify reported fourth quarter subscriber growth that beat estimates. A lot of that, of course, to do with podcasting too. The monthly active users have now reached almost 500 million. The gross margin, also better than expected. Like it's all helping the shares jump the most in a year today. Now, the ad-supported revenue in the music streaming giant also climbed 14%. And that's actually at a time when brands have been slowing their spending. So the executives were staying pretty optimistic on the longer-term goals of this business, and also, of course, focused on the near-term efficiency after Spotify recently announced that it is planning to cut about 6% of its employees. Welcome back to Bloomberg Technology. I'm Caroline Hyde in New York. And Ed, well, the stories continue, earnings, but also, sadly, layoffs. Yeah, and a lot of that driving movement in After Hours. So let's get right to it. Some of the names we've been talking about in the show, particularly Snap, down in a big way in After Hours, now more than 14%. Forecast for revenue that's going to drop 2 to 10%, a wide range. And investors kind of shaking off this idea its subscription service has reached 2 million users quickly. EA now down 11%, really accelerating those declines in After Hours. Its forecast for bookings basically show that those new titles out in the holidays have not gained traction. If there's a bright spot, it's AMD in the chipsets are up 1.7%, a strong forecast for the current period, bucking the trend, a lot of strength in server. I also want to pivot to fintech because there's actually a fair amount of news flow in fintech, particularly around layoffs, as you discussed. PayPal confirming that it's doing layoffs, being cheered in after hours, up 2%. And Upstart, a name that caught my eye, it is 
cutting around 20% of staff, Caroline, but that wasn't as far as it went. It also is scrapping development of a small business loans program, citing macroeconomic conditions, which for a fintech company that basically deals in AI-powered lending is a worrying sign. Yeah, good point on the macro there. Let's dig in a little bit more into the fintech space and really what some other key companies are seeing as to where to invest. Anna Mars is with us, American Express, president for global commercial services, just introduced, in fact, Business Blueprint. It's a free digital tool that lets small businesses manage their cash flow. So let's talk about the Business Blueprint, Anna. And what are you responding to? Clearly, you're seeing demand coming from small businesses, right? Absolutely. So we're really excited about the launch of Business Blueprint uh, for a few reasons for American Express. Um, The first is American Express is a leader in small business cards. You'll know that. Um, We have over 3 million small business card customers here in the U.S., Uh, And we know that those customers want more. They want easier, more integrated ways to manage their cash flow, which is always a small business pain point, you know, in any economic climate. And what Blueprint lets us us do is engage with these customers in new ways. So they can come onto the platform and log in to access a free insights tool. They could apply for a flexible line of credit product. They can take an American Express business checking account and access a great APY, all in one easy to manage place. And we kind of see it as one of the most important new benefits that we've rolled out to small businesses really since membership rewards. So we're very excited about the launch today. You see it as a significant growth opportunity. Where, why? Well, small business is already a big part of American Express, and and we're a big part of small businesses here in the U.S. In fact, I talked about those three million small businesses, but they represent about 40% of all all U.S. small business card spending. 40% of that, every time a small business uses a card in the U.S. on a billions of, making a payment, it comes through American Express. So it's already a big part of the company. And it's our goal really to support these small businesses as they grow. You know, the post-pandemic period, we saw this incredible small business formation in the U.S. Over 5 million small businesses formed. We want to make sure that as many of them as possible become American Express customers. and We help them navigate whatever's ahead. And of course, in the near term, the macro picture a bit bleaker, longer term. You know, who knows where the cycle goes? I was on the phone with Steve Square, your CEO, on Friday, and he was talking about some of the slowdown in payments that he's seeing from small businesses. What are you seeing at the moment, and why is that? The company last Friday, as you know, the day you talked to Steve, reported 25% revenue growth for the full year in 22. And we, we went out and gave guidance for 2023 of revenue growth between 15 and 17%. So we're seeing very strong spending trends across our customer base. Uh, what we did talk about was a moderation in small business digital advertising spend. Mm-hmm. We have a very broad range of small businesses that spend on many things they need to run and grow their businesses. So interesting that maybe that more caution, and I remember Steve saying whether or not it was being just a bit of confusion or whether it was more the macroeconomy on that. Just talk to us a little bit about the fact that this whole business blueprint comes from an acquisition you made of Cabbage, one that I know well, sort of an OG in the European fintech space. You're retiring the name Cabbage. Is that something that we're going to see a little bit more of? I mean, you bought Resi, for example. Will these things become Amex printed? Well, we try to be very led by what works for our customers. And small businesses told us very clearly, given that big position that we have in cards, that they know American Express, they love American Express, and it was easier for them to understand the business blueprint from American Express as part of that overall relationship. Your purview, you're helping serve small, mid-sized, but also big global companies here. And I'm interested in what you're seeing from a corporate vantage point. 
Steve on the call again, sort of, and, and when chatting to him, talked about corporate travel just not yet coming back. What are you hearing from the people that you talk to about the desire corporates willing to spend at the moment? So that's absolutely right. Uh, when the pandemic hit in early 2020, we saw corporate travel reduce, you know, materially, down minus 86%, I think, at this low point way back in 2020. And as everyone got back on the road into 2021, 2022, we begin to see this gradual recovery. Um, it's still not back to 2020, 2019 levels, but my clients tell me they are beginning to travel. You see a return to travel faster in some of those more customer-facing, client-facing industries like banking, uh, aspects of financial services. But it's been a slow ramp, and we don't expect it to come back fully um, for, for a while. Um, but customers are getting out there, moving around, and it's an exciting growth story in the years ahead. And a lot of that's technologically driven. And I'm interested, as the tech shows, sort of the talent you have on board, the fact that you're rolling out these new offerings to small businesses. Are you making the most of the fact that like, some people are letting go of great engineering talent? Is that something you want to beef up on? How does it look like for you in Amex? We mentioned the cabbage acquisition. And as we looked at that opportunity, we were excited about the product set, of course, the tech platform, you know, being able to make these interoperable products work together, but also the people. We had in Cabbage a sort of digitally native, small business focused set of product and engineer uh, you know, leaders in their industry. So we're really excited to bring them into Team Amex and we're excited to keep building on what we bought in the years ahead. Great to have some time with you. Thanks for coming in the studio. Thanks for having me. Of course, Anna Mars, American Express President of Global Commercial Services. Ed. Terrific interview. Thank you, Caroline. Meanwhile, Boeing has told Bloomberg that it's hiring engineers from laid off, that have been laid off from tech companies. Take a listen. Many, many are. Many are. All of them? No. Many of them are. We've never had trouble with that. Do I think the layoffs make it maybe a little easier? Of course. But it's still about who you get. It's not an engineer is an engineer. You're always looking for the best talent in the world to take on one of the great missions in the world. Boeing CEO Dave Calhoun also told Guy Johnson that the company anticipates autonomous airlines in the future. He believes it's a matter of when, not if, self-flying planes will become the norm. Hmm. Now, it was the first ever ETF focused on NFTs, non-fungible tokens. It's closing. The Defiance Digital Revolution ETF, ticker NFTZ, or Z, I'm British, launched at the end of 2021. But it's going to close in February. Why? Let's ask Bloomberg's Isabel Lee, who reported on it. So, I mean, we know NFTs, the demand kind of collapsed. Is that why this is then shutting down? It really is. When we reached out to the CEO and CIO, Sylvia Jablonski, she's a great person, she said the fund didn't attract assets. It was as simple as that. And I guess that's just enough reason to close a fund. And you must remember that this was launched at the height of everything. NFTs, digital assets. If you didn't talk that language, you weren't cool. And then now, where are they? I don't even hear any of my friends talk about those anymore. And obviously, the prices They're all of those, talking about AI. Yes, <laughs> the prices of those have cratered. And so I guess if a fund doesn't attract enough, then it just makes sense to probably close it. Although, because this is something I also cover, they say that it's not not just you just close it you know you put a lot of thought into it you probably speak to the management and stuff so I'm pretty sure that they probably saw no future for it I don't want to speak so much for them but that's what the implication is right Isabel is, is, is this because all ETFs that have some association with crypto the crypto industry are suffering is this a broad issue it kind of is a broad issue. Like we're seeing a lot of crypto-related ETFs um, liquidate, but the thing is, funds is different from the performance. So another 
crypto ETF you wrote about is called the Valkyrie Bitcoin ETF. So the ticker of that is WGMI. So if you can guess, it stands for we're going to make it. And that fund was among the best, if not the best performer in all of the U.S. ETF industry. It actually doubled. Uh, it rose 100%. It tracks um, a lot of mining companies and some crypto-related firms. And if you ask why, it's just because Bitcoin's price is around up 40% in January. So it remains to be seen. Funds aren't there, but performance of Bitcoin is there, therefore kind of pulling up some of the crypto ETF prices. I mean, let's talk about that, Isabel, because it kind of feels like a macro story at the moment because a lot of correlation between Bitcoin, as much as we, many would want to see it fall away from just how risk assets perform. It's basically trading like a risk asset. Is that all about the Fed at the moment? For now, yes. Actually, there was a very interesting note I read today. It's by Arcane Research. So they said that Bitcoin trades volatility in a volatile way every time around the FOMC press conference. So mm. they did a minute-by-minute minute rolling analysis and they found that Bitcoin trades more volatile, but it has eased a bit ever since the Fed increased its rate hike cycle beginning March. So while it increased a bit, it's still volatile and that's why they expect Bitcoin to kind of downshift beginning tomorrow and to lose momentum. And they expect that for the whole of February. So that kind of goes in contrast with the stellar January we've seen. And if you ask why, the note just really said, because the Fed's high, Fed's rate path hike isn't clear yet. We don't know consensus estimates 25 basis points, but pause or pivot, it remains to be seen. And while the decision, I think, is largely set in stone, a lot of people will yeah. really look at the press conference and how hawkish Jerome Powell will be. You have a wonderful story on the Bloomberg Terminal. Bitcoin's rally poised to test old adage of don't fight the Fed. Happy Fed Eve to you, Isabel. Is that lesson extendable to the broader crypto market beyond Bitcoin? I think it is because Bitcoin is the biggest and a lot of coins move in lockstep with that. So usually you'll see the correlation between Bitcoin and Ether, the second largest coin, really close. And if Bitcoin falls, chances are that everything will fall with it. Although right now Bitcoin is trading around 23,000 and there's a hefty resistance level at 25 to 28. Um, so if we break above that, then obviously that would be an upside for the coin. But for now, it's been stuck in a tight trading range in the last two weeks. And um, a lot of analysts are really just waiting for the next big macro event. But sentiment-wise, it's still kind of sad in the crypto space. People are pessimistic with all the fallout, the bankruptcies, the scandals. But, you know, crypto faithfuls are still there. As they say, we're all going to make it. All right, Bloomberg's Isabel Lee, thank you so much for joining the show. Now, shares of SoFi jumped after the company announced plans to reach profitability in 2023. And Bloomberg caught up with CEO Anthony Noto on Monday. Unfortunately, we aired a portion of the interview that was dated. Here is some of Monday's actual interview view that we held with Noto after earnings. We're ahead of where we expected to be at this point. We've had seven record quarters of revenue in a row. Um, and in this quarter, our revenue growth actually accelerated to 58% year over year, up from 51% in Q3. Uh, so we ended up exceeding expectations. And as we mentioned on the earnings call, we believe that the scale that we're driving in revenue will continue into 23 with about 25 to 30% year over year growth uh, to a range of about $1.9 billion in revenue to $2 billion of revenue. Uh, and that will achieve gap profitability by the uh, fourth quarter of 2023. One of the other important milestones we achieved this quarter is that our EBITDA of $70 million, uh, which was up um, significantly versus a year ago uh, and contributed to our total for the year of 143, 
um, of EBITDA. Uh, that $70 million was equal to our stock-based compensation, uh, which is a critical milestone to hit on the way to gap profitability. Anthony, the optimism, the positivity coming out of SoFi right now at a time when a lot of fintechs broadly basically being washed out in addition to, I should say, uh, consumer businesses like Goldman, of course, your alma mater, uh, their Marcus business, for example. Do you think those competitive headwinds kind of moving to the side is really boosting the momentum for your own business? You know, I think we took a very different approach uh, to the market about five years ago when I joined and that we wanted to become a one-stop shop uh, for all the major financial decisions in your life and all the days in between. And we didn't cherry pick the most popular products at the time or the products that were growing the fastest or the ones you could make the most money on. We picked all the products that allow us to help you get your money right, to help you borrow better, save better, spend better, protect better, and invest better. And because we were committed to those activities that help you get your money right over the last five years, we've built a durability in our business and a robustness that allows us to allocate capital to those businesses that are most in need at that moment in time and leaves us less vulnerable to different um, uh, exogenous factors that we've seen impact other companies. That's not to say that we're bulletproof or perfect. It just means more more robust and more, um, I think, stable, and that allows us to be more durable. And the strategies really come together in the last you know two years. That was SoFi CEO Anthony Noto. Now coming up, the unicorn trying to bring back the dodo, as in the bird. We'll discuss next. This is Bloomberg. What if everyone at work were an expert communicator? What if every doc, message and email they wrote was perfectly clear and concise? Inbox numbers would drop, customer satisfaction scores would rise and everyone would be more productive. That's where Grammarly comes in. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that understands your business and can transform it through better communication. Companies that use Grammarly save an average of 19 days per employee per year. That's because with Grammarly's AI, what used to take a few hours only takes a few clicks, like generating an instant first draft in your company voice or tailoring a message to your specific audience and goals. And Grammarly's personalized on-brand writing help is built in everywhere your team works, across 500,000 apps and websites. Plus, it's safe, secure, and already IT-approved. Join 70,000 teams who trust Grammarly with their words and their data. Learn more at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said. Done. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Okay, so this next story is 
kind of something out of a movie, specifically Jurassic Park movie, because Colossal Biosciences, which just announced a $150 million funding round, the Dallas-based startup is trying to bring back perhaps the most famously extinct animal of them all, the dodo. Here to explain, Colossal's co-founder, Ben Lamb. I mean, extraordinary. You, you got a lot of press around perhaps bringing back the woolly mammoth. Now it's the dodo. You're raising serious money, Ben. Talk to us how you do it. Well, I mean, for us, uh, you know, as the world's first extinction company, I feel like the world actually is starting to pay attention not just to climate change and the effects that man is having on the environment, but loss of biodiversity is now at the forefront of a lot of conversations. You know, with COP15 and, and some of the great work that came out of the World Economic Forum, 50% of all biodiversity could go extinct between now and 2050. And we need better tools, we need better technologies. And so we decided to build a company, George Church and I, uh, to build a uh, biosciences and synthetic biology company called Colossal Biosciences, which focuses on leveraging CRISPR and other gene editing tools and technologies and advanced reproductive technologies in order to bring back these kind of iconic keystone species like the woolly mammoth, the Tasmanian tiger, and then obviously what we're announcing today is our avian genomics group uh, focusing on the iconic dodo. And so our goal with this is to actually bring back these species rewild them back into their natural habitat in partnerships with local governments and indigenous people groups uh, and, and the, the broader public at large, and then leverage these tools and technologies both for human healthcare and then give all the technologies that we develop for conservation away to the world so that conservationists have more tools in fighting uh, against loss of biodiversity. I spawned so many other questions, and I'm sure many have got questions yes. about why and how you bring them back into, into the now world. But I'm interested in the money part, the 150 million. What is the reward to investors here? Is it more about the application for people? It is. And, 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 you know, what's interesting is that in science and in, in the great universities there are worldwide, a lot of times you'll start working on an individual paper or a problem, you'll publish a paper, and that's a great point solution. And some of those point solutions become incredible companies and incredible innovations for healthcare and for humankind as a whole. But what's really interesting is when you start to look at some of these big biology and synthetic biology problems as systems, a lot more innovations can come in a lot of different areas. So with just the mammoth, for example, we're working on computational biology, we're working on cellular engineering, we're, we're working on stem cell reprogramming, and advanced gestational technologies. All of those could spur additional technology. So very similar to the like moon landing, or the which was an actual moonshot, uh, a lot of great technologies were developed that could completely transfer that completely transform the, the world, including fundamental technologies that allow us right. to have this conversation today. And so earlier this year, uh, we actually spun out our first technology company called Form Bio, which was a computational biology platform that we developed right. because. What we needed just didn't exist in the market. We ended up raising $30 million for that. And that's a huge win for our investors. Hey, Ben, you talked about the money. A source told us your valuations now at around $1.5 billion. We asked our audience, is this a good use of funds? Here's what our audience thinks about that. Frankly, no. Uh, they think that you know research and funding can go into bigger problems. Um, I'm going to ask you the same question as Caroline. What is the business model here? Jurassic Park? No, so I mean, for us, it's about developing technologies, right? If you start to look at these things as systems problems, you actually can develop a lot of really great technologies. In our first six months of business, we developed a technology, raised $30 million for it, and it's a major uh, technology right. and bioinformatics, bioinformatics platform, which can be really helpful for human healthcare. And so what I would say is there's nothing more pressing than 
climate change right. and loss of biodiversity, and we need no, more tools. So it's on companies like us to educate the public on what the value of these tools are, not just to human health care yes. and to investor returns, but to conservation. Thank you for coming on, listening to our questions, giving us some answers. I feel we've got to get you back. Colossal Bioscience co-founder, Ben Lamb. We thank you on that funding round and, well, extraordinary applications of the money. Meanwhile, well, that does it for this edition Ed, of Bloomberg Technology Wednesday. Ed, you've got a huge conversation. Palantir CEO, no less. Yeah, and I'm very looking forward to that one. Don't forget, recap, catch our podcast wherever you get it, Spotify, iHeart or Apple. A lot to talk about. This is Bloomberg. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com enterprise data to learn more.